AA Beyond Belief is a podcast by, for, and about people who have found a secular path to sobriety in Alcoholics Anonymous. Well, it wasn't that too long ago. I think it was towards the end of January that I got an email from Jeremy, who is going to be our guest today. Jeremy is from London, England, and they're having a storm over there, he let me know. At any rate, uh, Jeremy had a really interesting question about what makes an alcoholic, pretty much. And he really brought up some interesting points in his email, and I thought, this would be a good good podcast. So he agreed to join me, and here he is. Hey, Jeremy, how are you? I'm good, and thank you very much for having me on your podcast. I have to say I feel sort of somewhat fraudulent uh, appearing as a guest, but it's great to, to be invited, and thank you for having me. Oh, heck, it's nice to have you, and uh, you shouldn't feel fraudulent at all. Why would you, why would you feel that way? Well, I think that kind of goes to the heart of... Um, why I mailed you in the first place because um, I have been to uh, a number of AA meetings and the tradition appears to be that you know when you have your turn to speak you say my name is Jeremy and I'm an alcoholic and and that's the point almost which I get stuck because I want to start by saying and therefore I've never said anything in a meeting hello my name is Jeremy and I don't know what I am I don't know whether I qualify or not, and I don't know whether that matters from the point of view of my attendance at AA meetings. Mm. Yeah, and and in my view, it doesn't, because uh, first of all, what's interesting about the, the term alcoholic is it's really not used in medical science now. Um, I think that uh, the treatment professionals refer to it as alcohol use disorder. Um, or substance abuse disorder. Okay. Yeah. So that's that's how it's that's how it's labeled scientifically as a disorder, as, um, substance abuse disorder. Um, alcoholic is probably just a social term that we use that has been just been used, you know, over time. And I think that we have a better understanding of what is substance abuse disorder now. That um, you know it runs more on a spectrum, um, and that the consumption of alcohol by itself alone. Um, is is typically not good for a human being anyway. <laughs> so it's, it's not like really a natural sure. substance. I think that we should be ingesting, but um, but I think everybody to uh, to one degree or another is impacted by it, um, you know, through their health. But it is interesting that you know in AA we have this custom of introducing ourselves as my name's John and I'm an alcoholic, and I have met more than a few people, um, mostly. Um, many years younger than me who question that practice who don't like the the label and putting that label on themselves and it's really not necessary sure i mean certainly listening to i mean what maybe i should go back a bit and explain kind of how i came to be kind of mailing you in the first place um i um i'm 53 years old i'm english and i'm a male and therefore i have a complicated relationship with alcohol i probably would say um, uh, a, um, a problematic relationship with alcohol. I've drunk um, since I was a young adult and um, I've had periods when I've definitely thought that I've 
drunk too much. Uh, I have had period, had occasion to believe that alcohol has kind of at least contributed to kind of making me make some very bad decisions, um, do things that I regret and kind of probably change the course of my life in ways that are quite profound. And so the issue of drink and drink related problems has always been in, in my in my consciousness. Um, and I started to have periods when I just stopped drinking, um, partly from just a kind of health perspective, but also because I had concerns about my ability to moderate my drinking as opposed to abstaining. So for example, um, at the moment, I'm um, four months sober. I have one of those apps that you have on your telephone that you I make a pledge in the morning and uh, at night time I review my day and say how hard it was uh, or otherwise not to drink um, and it, it's not difficult for me I find it very easy to not drink once I've stopped drinking um, sometimes quite difficult to stop before having these periods of, of abstinence um, but I started thinking, well, it would be nice to have some support um, and also some um, friendship or fellowship amongst people who um, don't drink. Um, because it, it does feel quite a kind of lonely um, thing. Uh, because I think one of the things about particularly male British culture, and I'm sure it's true in Europe and lots of other places, maybe the US, that socializing and being friends with people um, is very much um, done around alcohol in, in the UK. What, you know, you just, you go for a beer with somebody, right? If, and if you go to the pub and you're not having beer, then people look at you in a funny way. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, it's, it's quite a difficult thing. So I thought, well, maybe I should have a look at um, uh, some of these um AA, for example, and just kind of see whether it'd be suitable for me to go for a meeting. Maybe it'd help me in my um, quest to be sort of sober, because I think I do want to remain sober now, and maybe I'll get some friends out of it. So I guess I was cowardly. I, I uh, Rather than go to actual meetings, I started listening to podcasts, looking at websites. I found your website and others like it, you know. Um, and... Uh, started listening to um, particularly speaker meetings. Yeah. Um, and uh, I think at that point I started to think, well, well, is there a difference between alcoholics and people like me who probably are, um, you might describe as heavy drinkers who occasionally lose control of their ability to regulate their drinking? And does it matter from the point of view of attending um meetings of AA and, and certainly to start with I thought there probably wasn't going to be much of a difference and then I started listening to more and more kind of podcasts like Sobercast and yours and you know I listened to a lot from the uh, North Oakland uh, uh, Alcoholics Anonymous so I, I a lot of my uh, experiences of, of, of the US particularly in terms of listening to people talking and I, I got quite a lot of questions around kind of definitions of alcohol and also about whether or not it's 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 a it's a something that might be useful for me or other people like me because i think there are a lot of people like me in the uk who are alcoholics anonymous curious or or you know solutions to alcohol 
problems curious. So that's kind of where I'm where I'm coming from. Yeah, no, I I get it. I uh, so my my background is I was uh, 19 years old when I first um, started um, considering getting help for my drinking, and you know I don't know if any doctor at that time would have diagnosed me with a substance abuse disorder or anything along those lines. Um, but I was certainly having problems at that time in my life, um, mainly with, um, relationships and, uh, my, my schooling, my schooling, I was in college at the time. So, um, but I, I, I told myself I was too young and, and that label alcoholic really, um, was problematic for me. I just couldn't, I couldn't, um, see myself as an alcoholic. I just figured I'm just way too young. But then over the next five years, and this is what's interesting when you, when you are, I think the human memory is kind of tricky. You know, how, how often did I drink? How bad was it? You know, I, I seem to remember that it was pretty bad, (laughs) but you know, I wasn't drunk every day. And did I get drunk every time I drank? I don't know. I don't probably not. Um, but when I, when I share the story, I, you know, in an AA meeting, I'm probably more likely going to recall those harrowing experiences where I ended up in jail or whatever. But I think that for me, ultimately what happened is I got to a point where I, the problems I was having in my life associated with drinking were, were, were so bad that I didn't care whether or not I was an alcoholic. I just wanted to stop drinking because I didn't think I was going to have any kind of a decent life if I continued. And when I got to that first AA meeting, there, there's a, that tradition that says the only requirement for membership is a desire to stop drinking. And reading that really eased my mind because the way I understood that was I don't have to put any sort of a label on myself. If I want to stop drinking, that's all that matters. And I just left it at that. Um, of course, I do go to meetings and introduce myself as an alcoholic, and maybe I am. I, I presume I am. It would be a cruel joke if I were to find out later that I could actually, you know. But um, yeah, but but can now you, that can I, can I ask you something about that. Uh, um, sorry to interrupt. Uh, you know, it's so it's been a long time since you had a yeah. drink, right? Yeah. I, I mean, how long, if you don't mind? Thirty-one years. Yeah. Right. I mean, and that's amazing you know congratulations on that um it's, it's incredible um but so you've been a non-drinker much more of your life <laughs> yes. than you yes than you've been a, a that's drinker, right right so what, what's the if, if someone if you wanted to take the argument that you are an alcoholic why um why are you still are you still on now i don't hear people often in in aa meetings say that they're recovered right right? they they say they're in recovery or they say they're still an alcoholic despite the fact that they took their last drink in 1985 yeah and and that somehow seems to be kind of sort of therapeutically non-useful to me yes i think it's semantics in a way because it's sort of like you know if you if you're a diabetic but you have your diabetes under control. Um, if you if you weren't taking care of yourself, you know, watching your diet and doing what the doctor suggests suggests you to do or ask you to do, you know, your diabetes is going to flare up. Um, now, so that means that 
one might have diabetes, but then we also put a label on them and call them diabetic. And it's kind of the same thing with, I think, um, substance abuse disorder or what alcoholism is, you know, you, you, once, once having lost that degree of control over one's drinking, it's really, um, it seems like it's not, you're not likely to regain it, but that's not always true in every case. Um, now I do, when you talk about recovered and recovering, I tend to view myself as recovered. I don't really use the terminology so much, but I, I, I view myself as recovered because to me, the whole problem with, with the disorder is that first of all, I, <clears throat> I have this idea that I'm in my case, I always thought I would, I would tell myself, I'm just going to go have a few, few drinks. I'm gonna have a few beers and then I would lose control and that, and then I just repeat that over and over. And so I, so the problem was twofold. It was that, that the denial that I, that I could control my drinking, the denial, I mean, the denial that I couldn't, and then whatever was going on with me physically, where I, where my body would, um, or my mind would want more. So, um, I don't know where I was going with that. So that's kind of, I don't know. Oh yeah. So, so I'm recovered in the sense that I realize now I'm, I've, I've, I'm, 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 my senses, I'm back, I'm back to understanding that I can't drink. I shouldn't drink. It's not good for me. Um, my past experience was that, um, you know, I would end up in jail. It caused me problems at work. It caused me problems with relationships. So drinking is something that I should stay away from. And I know that. And I also know that there's something that seems to happen with me uh, physiologically once I put alcohol in my body that makes it really difficult to stop. And so understanding that, um, I just feel like, okay, so now I I have recovered because I'm I'm no longer in that state of mind where I think, oh, a drink won't won't hurt me. Okay, that makes sense. Uh, Because I hear a lot of people um, on these and occasionally in, in, in the meetings that I've um, been to saying um, so, so some people make reference to the, the big book obviously and uh, um, the, the doctor's opinion in the big book which basically says that that, um, that you have an allergy uh, not you but a person who is an alcoholic is um, different from a regular human in some ways and you know they're these people are a band apart because unlike normal normal people who can have a couple of drinks and don't get this kind of allergic addictive reaction there are there is this special band of kind of strange people almost who are who are alcoholics because they have this allergic reaction and that makes them helpless before alcohol so it's so so and that has implications for their recovery in the sense that they can't um, uh, do it by themselves, or in fact, their kind of will is 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 almost unnecessary to to the process of recovery because they have to give themselves over to God or a higher power um, in order to 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 facilitate that recovery. Now, if that's right, or or kind of, I suppose my 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 interest in that is so is AA for me because if that's correct then it feels to me like that's not not helpful to me I feel like I do have some agency in in terms of not drinking 
And I don't want to kind of muscle in on a special group of people who have this problem that isn't like mine, <laughs> because I might be unhelpful to their recovery and they might not be helpful to mine in the sense that we need to do different things in order to, 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 to get to a path where we're happy with our amount of the amount of drinking that we do be it none or some yeah well it's unfortunate that we're still using the same book that was that's now like over 80 years old um and because when it when it was written uh that was that doctor's understanding of it back in 1939 and i think that we've learned a lot more about how how this works you know i i think that you've read uh, Catherine gray's book that i i recommended and she talks about you know, alcohol being, um, and problems with alcohol really lying on a spectrum. Um, and you know, people have degrees of, of problems and, and maybe it worsens over time. Maybe it doesn't. Um, and I, and I think that more and more it's being looked at that way. It's really kind of, it's like kind of like a spectrum disorder. It's a, it's on, it's on a scale of bad, you know, and, and there's not necessarily one solution or answer or treatment or support, uh, that works for just across the board for everybody. I think it really depends on, on each person, but yeah, unfortunately in AA, uh, they're going to get out that book that was written 80 years ago and they're going to read Dr. Silkworth's opinion about this being an allergy and how we're different than other people. And, um, I think that science is kind of learning that that might, might not be really true that, um, you know, I've, Again, I'm not I'm not a scientist at all, but the the doctors I've talked to that are experts in the field, it seems like the theory seems to be that addiction to drugs and alcohol seems to be a problem with um, uh, dopamine levels in your brain that get spiked when you when these chemicals enter your brain. And one of the doctors I spoke with said that you know about you know most people have uh, the gene um, that would that would trigger this problem. But that with everybody, it's it it's a it's a it's different uh, for what triggers it. So in other words, one person might um, that gene might go into um, effect and after their fifth beer, and someone else it might be their three hundredth beer, you know, <laughs> before it kicks in. Uh, so that you know that's just that's just one one theory, I guess. But but I kind of tend to think that yeah, I think it's I think that alcohol probably affects all human beings, um, essentially, I mean, pretty similarly. Um, but the, I do, I do buy into the idea that it's probably on a, on a scale, um, um, of, you know, degree of how bad it is, but it's interesting in some countries and, and, um, I'm learning about how bad it is in the UK and, and, and Russia, for example, too, terrible alcohol problems, you know, um, just across the board and, society from what i understand so but it's pretty bad here in the united states too we also have a really bad drug problem here sure i was reading i remember we talked in emails about um holly whitaker um who's just done the the book um quit like a girl and when she was um in another sort of existence she she ran a website called um, hip sobriety i think and um, came out with an article that I really liked, which um, basically said, I think it was called, Hi, my name's Holly. I'm not an alcoholic, brackets, because there's no such thing. Right, right. Uh, and uh, there was a, a really good quote in that, that I wanted to read to you to see what you thought of it. Um, she says, we've created a separate disease called alcoholism. 
and forced it upon the minority of the population willing to admit that they cannot control their drinking. That, instead of looking at the insane amount of alcohol that we consume as a country, we've instead systematically labelled anybody who can't hang in that insanity as having the problem. Yeah, I, I think that's, I think she's right. You know, I, I think that, um, I think it's wrong to say that there's a distinct group of people that have this and that other people aren't going to be affected. I think, I think that everybody who, any person who drinks alcohol, um, has, has it within them to develop a problem at some point in their life. I mean, just the substance itself just isn't, isn't healthy to ingest. Um, no, you know, and even if someone is, is maybe not, you know, look at me, for example, when I was, um, I had my last drink when I was 25 years old. So, um, the problems that I was having with alcohol were, were legal problems. You know, I was um, drinking and driving, I was blacking out that type of thing, but I, I wasn't having DTs, you know, I wasn't, I wasn't having, um, if I stopped drinking, I wouldn't, I wouldn't go into seizures or fits, um, like some people will. So, you know, would I have ever progressed to that point? I, I don't know, but I just see it as, I really just see it as a, as a, you know, wherever you are on the scale at any particular time and you can, you can choose to address it however you want to at any, any time that you start, one might start thinking it's a problem. So for me, it was, it was when I was 25 and I was having a lot of life problems and it seemed like alcohol was pointing at all of them. So that's why, you know, I made the decision at that time that, um, I needed to stop, but yeah, AA is kind of a strange thing though. It, it is kind of a, you know, it's kind of a, um, a subculture, you know, <laughs> and they have their, they have their own customs and traditions and, and, and ways of talking about things. And, um, it, and then really reading that book, I, that's, I think the biggest problem is hanging on to reading the same doctor's opinion from the 1930s when, you know, that really should have been updated, you know, like 500 times since then, <laughs> you know, <laughs> but I mean, it, it did fascinate me. I mean, particularly coming from, you know, um, b being English, uh, I was surprised, I have to say, when, um, because AA is one of the, if you go to the National Health Service website and, say, and type in, I have a problem with drinking, one of the, you know, there are, there are a number of things that it suggests that you do and, you know, blah, blah, blah. But one of the things that it recommends is, is Alcoholics Anonymous. So it's, you know, it's right there on the list of things that the government says you should think about doing if you have a problem with drinking, right? Um, and um, I was really surprised when I started to investigate AA how much God there was in it. Um, and, you know, particularly from a, coming from a, an English culture, which I think is probably more godless than right. any other culture I can think of. I mean, I'm just, the differences between, I, I've worked quite a lot in, in the US. Uh -huh. um, and I, I love the place, I have to say. I've even been to Kansas, uh, oh, really? um, Kansas City. Oh, um, that's where I live, yeah. Uh, yeah, uh, and um, I had a very extraordinary experience there um, 
not to do with alcohol, um, and to do with a very large taxi driver and his gun. Oh, no. Um, that's maybe for another, another story for another time. <laughs> Sorry about that. Uh, I apologize on behalf lovely, of all Kansas Cityans. <laughs> <laughs> oh, lovely place. And uh, the, the people I met in the, in the office, in the office that, I, that I worked in for a day were, were, were charming individuals. Um, but I, one of the things I remember when I first started working there was, was um, I had a, a meeting and, and we were, we, there's about 20 people in the room and the, we were having some disputes of a property nature with the, with a church um, that was kind of had a car park next to ours and it was all very, we were having a big argument with just, you know dig a big hole in this car park to do some tunneling work. I can't even remember what it was about. We, but I made some disparaging comment about Christians, you know, kind of not being very Christian and kind of, pulled a face and kind of laughed and if I'd have done that in London or and pretty much anywhere in England people would have just kind of smiled or just right. kind of not even thought everything <laughs> on it, of it. But people were absolutely scandalized that I'd made some kind of anti-Christian comment in in this meeting and it was in New York right it wasn't in like you know um West Virginia or something it was it was it was in, in Manhattan and someone took me aside after and sort of said you know you you, you you, you can't say bad things about God. <laughs> this is America. <laughs> and, um, and I was like, okay, you know, and I took it on board and I, you know, never made a sarcastic comment about Jesus or, or, or his ilk ever, ever again. But, but it brought home the contrast for me. And I sort of thought, well, you know, that maybe AA kind of makes more, more, more sense in the US because it's much more godly and people kind of just kind of fall in line with this stuff but here it really jars and, and one of the things i've noticed in the not very many um aa meetings i've been to and mostly they've been secular thanks to you know via you know you guys i've, I've managed to find those meetings which has been great but even but the note the, the god thing is clearly a problem for a lot of people um and there was one poor guy um, who was doing kind of 90 meetings in 90 days, you know, the kind of classic um, thing that people do when they're really in, in trouble. And he was saying he, he'd been to six meetings prior to this secular meeting um, over the last five days. And in each one of those, he was saying people were kind of telling me that I couldn't do it without God and blah, 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 blah. And as an atheist, that was really problematic for him. And he was quite relieved to find a, to find a secular meeting uh, in London. Um, and, um, and, and that made it much easier for him to kind of come to terms with his, his condition, I think. So um, I, I was very surprised, as I said, when, when I found out just how gaudy it was. And I think that my theory is that even in the U.S., many of the people that are in sitting in an AA meeting aren't particularly religious, or if they are, they don't make a big deal about it in their everyday life. But when they get into AA and you've got this book that's God everywhere, the steps God everywhere, I think AA itself becomes their religion. 
and they become very um, rigid in the in that you know you really need a higher power. You you're not going to. It says here in the book on this page you can't do it on your own. You know, so I I really think that they tend to make AA itself a religion, and that's why maybe in the United Kingdom where people really aren't um, religious at all, um, and probably do identify as secular. Um, they, when they get to AA, it's, it's the program that they, that they are getting dogmatic about. And that's, and that's become their religion, I think. And now I'm just diagnosing these people in England that I've never met. <laughs> but I'm that's, <laughs> I think that's, I, I mean, that's how, that's how I feel about it. I mean, when I, when I'm, when I was going to meetings, you know, I'd think about, these people and and they would they wouldn't really talk about their going to church or anything and um but based upon their their life drinking and drugging they didn't really seem like very pious people or you know but boy when it came to aa they sure were um and i was too myself i fell in in line myself uh so i i do think that there there's that and and if if we would i really believe that the biggest problem is clinging to that book i mean i'm not i'm not against old books i think that it's great to have an old book because it's it, it's a marker in time where you can say yes you know this is this is this was the thought in the 1930s but it becomes a problem when you take that that book and rather than in appreciating it for what it was in its time you start applying it to your existing time where when when much of it isn't relevant that's when it becomes a problem and i think that's why we're having so much success with these um, secular aa groups because you know if you look at a secular aa meeting what distinguishes it from other meetings here in the north america anyway is first of all there's no lord's prayer there's no prayer at all during the meeting and we tend to stay away from that literature and it's not, and, and I think that's just a natural thing for us because unfortunately the literature isn't kind to atheists and agnostics. <laughs> so it's natural for us not to want to read it, but we still find some, I guess we still find some use from the community and being with like-minded people who support us in our, in our desire to not drink, you know, so we find some utility there, but um, it's that book and I find it very interesting too. The people that I see that are coming into our group here in Kansas City, who are much much younger than me, um, and they look at the book, and I think that their impression of it is a lot different than mine was when I was their age. Um, I mean, I think it looks more ridiculous now um, in 2020 than it did in 1988. When you know in 1988 it was 50 years old, it was pretty old then, but now it's 80 years old. I couldn't imagine back in 80. Back, you know what? What if they gave me a book? You know when I was when I was needing to get sober, and here it is 1988, and they gave me a book that was written in like 1898 or something like that. I I don't know, man. I just I I, I you know the language changes so much. I don't know if I would want anything to do with it. <laughs> so. No, I can get that. Yeah, but I think that's a big problem. Um, but to AA's credit, you know, every group has a right to do its own thing. So we don't have to use that book if we don't yeah. want to. And and I think that 
that is where we might win in the marketplace of ideas is if um, these secular AA groups take hold and become more popular than the other type of groups, then maybe we're going to see some change in, in AA. But um, even if that doesn't happen, there are all the time more options available for people, you know, smart recovery, uh, life ring, um, and just, um, well, hip sobriety, um, um, online connections that people are making, you know, um, yeah, that, that's really, that might be the future. That might just be what people do. Yes. Yeah. I, I wanted to talk to you or ask you about, um, the kind of the steps, if, if I may, um, uh, one of the things that say, so I was listening to the, um, Plymouth, um, uh, group um, uh, of AA, not not Plymouth in the US, but in the southwest of England, uh, a podcast they did recently, and they seem quite kind of hardcore, um, old school. And uh, there was a lot of uh, talk in in that meeting, and in that it was a speaker meeting. I think it was like they did eight eight different speakers because it was their twentieth anniversary of a particular group down there, which sounds as though it's had some tremendous success with people. And one of the things that they kept saying was, "I went to meetings for a very long time, and you, if you think you can just turn up to meetings and not do the steps." Then you're deluding yourself. Basically, you're still you're a dry drunk, um, and you, you know you need to get yourself a sponsor. Go to telephone two people a, a, a day, um, work the steps, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Do you do, do you kind of buy that? Do you? No, I do don't. You think- and I think that that kind of attitude is going to ultimately destroy AA if, if that's what people are going to hear. Um, and I think it's kind of immature and not really very thoughtful. Um, I guess I can understand it if that, if, you know, what happens, I, you know, you, you fall into the, you fall into um, doing what everyone else around you does does you start parroting what everyone else says and does and and you know I, I certainly did that I I um I just started speaking the way everyone else was speaking you know and and I was accepted in doing that and it's really difficult to go against the grain and when I started going against the grain as I realized I was an atheist um people you know were adamant that oh no you're you're the time and place is going to come that people will fail you you will need god so unfortunately you do have that but it's totally and from my point of view it's false um the steps are interesting because um first of all what what exactly are they i mean um they it's they're a list i guess but it's the in my opinion they are a description of an experience that a specific group of people had back in the 1930s and um, a list of things that they did because of that experience. And they put it in that particular language because they kind of got this idea from this religious movement um, that they were, they all belong to and, and uh, were relying on some basic, you know, religious principles, I guess. 
Um, so anyway, so basically, Oxford group, yeah, 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 yeah. Thank you, England. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, <laughs> sorry about that. <laughs> it's all right. So anyway, so um, yeah, but if you if you look at the steps though, the first step is is what it's it's a natural thing I think, but for anyone who's grappling with addiction, if you're if you're thinking that you have a problem, I mean, if you're if if you're ready to get help, I mean, usually there's something that triggers you to say, I need help, you know, and I think that's essentially the first step. It's this admitting that, you know, there's a problem here. And that second step is nothing more than after realizing that there's a problem, you know, you come to understand that there are places to go for help, you know, and then that third step is nothing more than a decision to go and seek that help that you know is out there, whatever that might be. So those are just experiences that people have, and you could put it in any way that you want to. And there's no way to actually work those things. Um, how do you? How do you? You know, you, you can probably read books and maybe um, try to understand the experience more. But those are those are really experiences that just happen, you know. And and the steps, I guess, are ways that you can relate that experience. But unfortunately, it's hard for us to relate to it because of the way that it was written. Um, it was probably easier for those people to understand in the context of the Oxford group that they belong to. And then the rest of the steps are some actions that you can actually take. Um, and again, the, the way that they're worded are, are, are kind of odd, but, you know, kind of religiously oriented. But yeah, it's just a matter of um, taking stock of yourself. No, you need to, you need to, you know, just your wings a little and not have these horrible chaps tell you how rubbish you are oh, i know it. i i had terrible self-esteem problems and uh, that humility thing was was a real struggle for me and, and and i think it did some damage and to to a certain degree um i'm you know i find myself just being afraid to ever acknowledge you know anything good i've done you know or you know, because I wouldn't want to be, you know, appear as being bragging or any. So it's just, it's, it's a bit too much. You know, I think, I think it's okay to feel good about something that, that you do, you know, <laughs> to talk about. Mm. Anyway. Well, I mean, you should feel good about this podcast because I've listened to a, a, oh, a large you. number of them and I really um, have got quite a lot from it. Oh, I love doing it. I absolutely love it. It's this nothing better. I mean, I've enjoyed this conversation immensely and you know, I, I, I wouldn't have had this opportunity if not for this podcast. So it's, uh, it's pretty cool. So Jeremy, I'm going to play us out with our outro music and, um, do our little exit thing here and see if this works. One thing I like about podcasting is I'm discovering my inner nerd and I've got this really cool equipment now. <laughs> so uh, that's it for another episode of AA Beyond Belief, the podcast. I hope you enjoyed the conversation. I certainly did. Thank you, Jeremy. That was a lot of fun. So for those of you out there who might be considering uh, supporting our website and podcast, that would be appreciated. You can do it in a couple of different ways. You can go to Patreon, patreon.com slash AA Beyond Belief or through PayPal at paypal.me slash Belief, or just go to our website and click on the donate button if you can. Jeremy, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for sending the email and thank you very much for participating in the podcast today. Thank you.